So uh, today's sermon uh, is, is called Fivefold Family. There you go. We've got it. There is a screen for it. Um, there we go. I worked long and hard on that. Thanks. <laughs> um, yep. Uh, I think I'm tired. I think I'm tired. Yes. My wife is nodding. She's saying, yes, you are. So move on. Don't tell, don't start telling jokes. Um, yeah. So, uh, so it's called Five Four Family. Uh, this is a, actually a series that I've uh, preached before. This will be the up, upgraded and expanded edition, uh, the new edition, because we're always learning new things. Um, but uh, essentially wanting to express this idea, obviously, that God ha- is building a family on the earth. Um, but also, how does what we call the fivefold ministry, how does that impact the, the family kind of nature and culture of the church? And really, that's how does Jesus want to shape his church, his family, as his representatives on the earth? So, Father God is establishing his kingdom, okay? So, the kingdom of God is wherever is the king's domain. So, wherever Jesus is Lord, wherever he is ruling, that's where his kingdom has come. So obviously when we talk about, even this morning during worship, yielding to God, kneeling before Him, acknowledging Him as Lord, that means that the kingdom of God has come in our hearts because Jesus is ruling and reigning in us. Wherever God has given us authority in the earth and we are releasing the authority of Jesus, where we are creating a culture that reflects the nature of God in those spaces, that's where the kingdom of God is coming. Okay? But God is establishing his kingdom on the earth, and he's doing this through his family that he's drawing together. God is more than capable of doing everything that he desires on his own. So the reality is God does not need you or I to fulfill his plans and purposes on the earth. He could do it all himself. He could do it in an instant. And it would probably be far more spectacular and wonderful than than us doing it. But for some reason... Surely in his wisdom, God has chosen to draw people to himself, to grow his family, and then to release his family into the earth to be the ones that continue to build his family and continue to see his kingdom come. So what a privileged and amazing and a huge responsibility that we carry as his family members to bring about that perspective. So we're not, and this is always a danger for us as Christians, that we can begin to really enjoy being part of God's family. And we can enjoy all the wonderful things. We can enjoy the blessing of knowing God. We can enjoy the blessing of His presence, of His provision. We can enjoy the blessing of gathering together as His church. All wonderful things. But if we think that's the end of, of the whole process, we've, we've missed out a huge part. Because as God draws us in, He also then sends us out. I think it's in John 20, 21. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me to earth, so I am sending you. See, in the same way that Jesus was sent from heaven to earth, we are sent by God into the earth, carrying the reality of heaven into the earth. Every single one of us, every single person is a missionary. Put your hand up if you're a missionary. Yeah, yeah. I know some of you are just lazy. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> But it is, like that's the reality. We're all, it's not those kind of people who go to foreign countries and, and do all that sort of stuff. That's not a missionary. Everyone is a sent one by God. 
That's what the word, that's where we get the word missionary from, is from the word apostolos, which is where we get the word apostolic or apostle from, and that means a sent one. And we are all sent by Jesus into the world. But we do it not as individuals, we do it as God's family. And we don't just draw people individually to God, we draw people into his family. So there's always an individual dimension to it, but there's and a corporate dimension. So the New Testament is full of this kind of family language that God uses whenever he talks about his church. When, it, when we read about the church, I mean, even when I, I use the language Father God, it becomes so familiar to us. I mean, yeah, Father God, yeah, God is our Father, and we're his children, it's kind of normal. But the significance of that, that God would reveal himself, not just as God, but as Father, is, is huge. And again, it's probably just familiar for us, but it actually means that the way that he relates to us as as a father would to children, and the way that we would relate to him as children to a father, that's hugely significant in our understanding of God's relationship with us. So I've got some scriptures for you, just in case you don't believe me. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 to 16. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And that word Abba can, can, could be translated like Daddy or Papa or, you know, it's like it's a, um, an intimate kind of language. If you imagine, you know, like a, a child speaking to their dad, my kids still call me Daddy or Dada. I won't admit who, you know, they, they all do in different ways, but, but I love that and, and I hope they always call me that. Um, because that's, that's their relationship with me, um, is, is, a, is an intimate, close, connected relationship. But as we have received the Spirit, we cry out, not just like, oh, God is this distant being, but my, my father, my dad, my daddy, my dada, my papa. That's who God is to his children. And it says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So the Holy Spirit is speaking constantly to our personal spirit, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. This is the, that song that we sing, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Amen? Amen. You are a child of God. Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7, says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, again, crying, Abba, Father. Again, intimate, close language, not far away, distant God, but intimate, close God. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Amen? Woo, it's good stuff. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6 says, In love, God predestined us. For adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So it was God's desire for you to be his child. It was God's purpose and intention for you to be his child. I know we talk about accepting Jesus and maybe we prayed a prayer, a sinner's prayer. That was all initiated by God. You're just responding to a decision that he has already made. He says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
So we have been adopted into God's family. At one time, we were not part of his family. We were wayward children, like the the story of the prodigal son. And God has, through Christ, reconciled us to him and invited us back into that relationship. And every single person that you know of today that doesn't know Jesus has that same opportunity to be reconciled to God. And guess who the invitation comes through? You and I. We get to invite people into the family of God. It's, it's on us to, to, to bring the invitation to people, to, to hand out the invitation to the wedding feast, to hand out the adoption certificates to say, God is longing to draw you back into his family. And again, I think sometimes we've, we've been stuck in this place of we need to tell people that if they don't accept Jesus, they're going to be tormented for, forever in hell. That's been the the predominant message that's been declared to humanity. But I think a a much more significant and dominant message in the Scriptures is that God is a father who's longing for his children to be drawn back to himself. He's restoring his family. He's bringing his family back together. And I think that should be the ultimate. Now, there is this ultimate reality that if you reject Christ, there is an eternity that's not great. But I think a more important message that's going to actually then invite people into this loving, intimate relationship with God is to declare God is a good father and he loves you and he wants to draw you back into relationship with him. I think that should be the starting point for our relationship with God. If our starting point is fear, then no wonder people live in constant fear in their relationship with God. If the beginning of the relationship, if the message that we share is one of love and connection and intimacy and drawing in, then it makes complete and perfect sense that that's the kind of relationship that would be sustained with God. Now, do we need to deal with sin? Absolutely. Is sin destructive? Absolutely. Is, is there a consequence for those who reject Christ? Absolutely, there is. But the benefit of those who receive Him far outweighs the consequence of those who reject Him. If I'm presenting two things, it's like the benefit of receiving him is far outweighs any, any fear of concern of, of rejecting him. Now, again, when we talk about the church's family, it's really important that I'm not presenting this to you as some sort of like marketing ploy. Um, I, I know we, we've probably gone through seasons in the church where you know, a church will change their name from so-and-so church to so-and-so community church or so-and-so family church. Uh, and, and we kind of add this word in because we think, oh, people want community. So we'll call ourselves community and therefore people will want to come and be part of it because we're saying we're community. Uh, or, well, we're not a church, we're a family church. Um, or, you know, I've seen like something, something Bible church. It's like, oh, as a, you know, not those un-Bible church. But, you know, but it's, so this is not, um, we're not pursuing family because it's some sort of like marketing hook that's going to get people in. Oh, people are longing for family. Oh, we'll say we're family and then people will get drawn in. The reality is um, family is not always great. Um, you know, like you might have grown up in a family and go, oh, I don't want that. Uh, I want to, I, I ran away from family. Um, but, but so it's, I'm not trying to say, let's, let's, hey, let's be family because that'll be a way to kind of grow the church or some sort of thing like that. Not at all. We pursue family because it reflects God's kingdom. It reflects God's nature. It's the way that he has chosen to interact with his people. So we say, well, we, we want to pursue family because that's 
what God has established. He's established a family. He's drawing people into family. It's his nature as a father. So if we're going to reflect to the world, our relationship with God is going to be in the context of family, primarily. And again, when it comes to family, it has to be um, part of the, the culture of the church. It's not just a catchphrase. Um, and I, I like to use the language of uh, factories replicate, but families reproduce. Again, if we, if we have this kind of uh, mechanized church culture structure that kind of draws people in, squishes them into a mold, and then pumps them out again... Uh, what we can get is we can get replication of something. So people are, even when we talk about the heart journey, it's like people learn, this is how I'm supposed to behave now as a Christian. Can't do this, can't do this, must do this, must do this. And they learn this kind of things of what is acceptable, what's unacceptable, and they kind of learn how to behave in that culture. And then they're told, now go out and do this and say this and do these sorts of things, okay? Look, that can be effective to producing something, but it's not genuine real people transformation. But see, as a family has a culture, every family has a culture, your family that you grew up in had a culture, had a, had a DNA, um, and that uh, culture gets replicated or reproduced through from one person to the next person. And so children grow up in families, and as much as you uh, might not like this idea, um, you are like your family, your biological family. The impact that those relationships had on you, good or bad, naturally is reflected in how you live. We just learn those sort of habitual things. But see, when we look at a, a church culture that is creating a, a culture of family, that's creating a kingdom culture, then people start to learn that, but they actually start to get transformed into that. Again, when it comes to being like Jesus, we don't just want people to behave like Jesus. You're called to become like him, be transformed into his likeness. So that you can't be anything other than that. Jesus could not act in any other way apart from how Jesus would act. So because he was Jesus and he calls us to become like him. So God's desire is to build a family and he has a design of what it should look like. So we might think family, we think one thing when God says this is my family, he has a design, he has a culture that he would say, that's my family. Those things, they don't belong in my family. These things belong in my family. So the family of God should look like God. If we're patterned after our Father, who is the one who is leading us, we're filled with his Spirit that's leading us. We've got the example of Jesus, who we are following, then Really, we should be looking like him. So the church should look like God. Do we agree? No, anyone agree? Amen. Yes, it should. Who's the church? Oh, so you mean the leaders of the church should look like God? Yes, yes. No, 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 no. We are the church. So we should all, and we all need to be carrying that responsibility. I'm responsible for reflecting the reality of God to the world, personally and corporately. So Jesus was the exact imprint of the Father's nature, the Bible says. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
He is the exact imprint of the nature of the Father. So when we follow Jesus, we're following the Father. We're following the Father's ways. Now, Jesus also is the firstborn in God's family. So when God chose to reconcile the world to himself, he chose to build a family and he initiated this family by sending a son. And he said, this is, I'm building, I'm restoring my family. And Jesus, he is the firstborn of the family. So you can say, well, I know what the father looks like. Well, what's the son of that kind of father look like? He looks like the father and he looks like Jesus. So he says, so what does it look like to belong to the family of God? It looks like me becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what it means to become and to be part of God's family. Romans 8, 29 says, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, or many brothers and sisters. So he is the firstborn of many. So when you are born again, you're born again into God's family, but you are born with the Spirit of God in you, who is desiring to transform you more into the likeness of Jesus. He's working out that reality, that we would day by day be looking more like him. Not thinking, well, it's, it's the church's job to, to reflect Jesus, or it's the leader's job to reflect, or it's somebody else's job to reflect Jesus. No, it's, it's your job. It's your responsibility. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a child of God, we all carry that responsibility to be reflecting his nature. Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So the reality is God could have chosen to build an army to transform the world, but instead he chose a family. Even the disciples were like, all right, Jesus, when are you gonna take over the world? When are you gonna bring, you know, release us as an army to take over the world? And Jesus like, that's not my kingdom. That's not how my kingdom works. That's not how my kingdom's going to spread throughout the earth. It's gonna be a family and it's gonna go from family to family from household to household, the Greek word oikos, from, from network to network of people. And that's how the gospel spread. And strategically, that's how it spread under the radar in Roman culture. It went from household to household. The next minute, thousands of people getting saved, then hundreds of thousands, then millions of people. Not because they had this great big marketing campaign. There wasn't billboards in the, in the city streets this is one person to the next person. And people were encountering God because they were encountering God's people. And those people were pursuing looking like Jesus. When someone meets you, they should be meeting aspects of Jesus. Because you look like Jesus. Now, you're not taking Jesus' place. You're not being him, but you're being like him. So the reflection of the heart of God is seen in the manifestation of the family of God. A family should look like their father. That's what I see in my kids sometimes. And sometimes you see those things, you go, is that what I'm like? Oh, okay. I repent. But you do, because they follow you. They model their life on you. Whether they choose to or not, just inherently by being around you, they start to reflect you. So you also get that reflection of yourself in that process. John 17, verse 20 and 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So I don't ask just for these disciples that I have here, but also for those who will believe in me through, through my word, 
No, through their word, through their testimony, through our testimony, through what we preach and proclaim, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The goal of intimacy with God is that others would know him through that process. Jesus said, uh, people will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. And yet how often in the church is there division and strife and broken relationships and we get so insular and focused on ourselves and how that's impacting me, but the reality is it's impacting the world. Every time a church splits, every time a, a, a leader falls, every time those things happen, the world is looking at the church and they're saying, why would I want that? Because that actually looks worse than what I know in my own relationships and friendships. At least my friends who are living in sin aren't hypocritical about it. The world is looking on at the church and saying, show us the Father. And too often the church is, is this incredibly poor representation of Him. And yet, well, we're producing albums and we've got nice websites and we've got beautiful buildings. And yet, who cares about that stuff if we're not reflecting the nature of the Father to people? It's whitewashed tombs. It's what Jesus came and spoke against. So stuff is like, oh, it all looks all nice on the outside, and yet the inside of the cup is dirty and filthy. We, we, need to start, we need to stop with all of that external stuff and start working on the internal reality. And that's our own hearts with the Lord, our own sin that we need to repent of. It's our relationships that we would fight for oneness, that we would fight for unity, we would fight for connection. Because that's what is actually being presented to the world. Not the words that we speak, it's the life that we live. That the world is looking at and going, do I want that? So it wasn't in my notes. There you go. <laughs> now hear me, I'm not trying to like poo-poo on the church. Like I'm not trying to like, oh, it sucks. It's, I'm, I'm not, I love the church. I love the bride and my heart is for the bride of Christ. Like I love the church and the church is God's uh, vehicle for world transformation. That's what he's chosen. He's chosen, I've, I've got this people. I mean, you look at his disciples, you think, why would you choose those people, Jesus? I don't know, but it's God's wisdom that he, that he chooses to do it that way. So you and I, you're, we've all got our junk. We've all got our histories, our struggles, all that sort of stuff. Still God chooses you and he chooses to use you in your brokenness. But the, the goal is moving towards, what's the trajectory of your life? Are you moving towards him? Or are you, cont are you content just to live with those dysfunctions and go, ah, it's all right, God, God's not that interested. He's actually really interested because it's reflecting him. It's, it's his, his integrity is resting on you. Like you are God's PR campaign. You are God's public relations campaign. You are his social media strategy. Your life, your words, your behaviors, the way that you interact, the way that you love, all of those things, that's how God has chosen to reveal himself to the world. Oh, in Ephesians 3, it talks about that the manifold wisdom of God might be revealed to, to, like, to the heavenly powers through the church. It's like, again, I was like, God, I don't know if this is the best plan, but it is your plan clearly in Scripture, so let's go with it. Let's run with it. So at the, 
the importance of the church looking like a healthy family. A healthy family produces healthy people. So we do a lot to work on. Like this is why we're so on about Elijah House and prayer ministry and inner healing and sanctification, all of that sort of stuff. The reason why is because we want to see people who mature in Christ to reflect him to the world. Uh, It's way easier to guilt trip people and to shame people into good behavior. Just want you to know, the easy path is that I would condemn you and make you feel super guilty about what you're doing wrong and shame you for all the bad choices that you are making. And hopefully, if you stick around because you're performance-oriented or you have deep shame and you have this longing to be accepted by people in authority, that you'll stick around long enough. Like it happens too often. That people live in shame, they live in guilt, they're not seeing the breakthrough. They're like, I'm, I'm there every single week and I want to change. Yes, I want to be like Jesus, but I'm stuck in this place. And no one's giving them tools, no one's giving them keys, no one's giving them strategies, no one's willing to say, hey, I'll journey with you and we're going we're gonna to journey through this together. And so people are left, well, I'll just conform to the likeness of whatever the church expects of me. Not conform to the likeness of Christ but conform to the likeness of the church, which is be a good person, don't say swear words, give my money, do this, don't do that, all of those sorts of things. And it's like, it's just lifeless. And it doesn't reflect God because it it doesn't carry on and have any real substance to it. I'm like, I'm just sick of that. Let's just be real. Let's just be real with our junk and be real and just repent. Like that's the gift of repentance. That's the gift of confession. Jesus like, confess your sins that you might be healed. Repent that you might see my kingdom. Like these are all wonderful gifts that God gives. He doesn't shame us. He doesn't make us feel guilty. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Like it's so good when God, if if God confronts you about sin in your life, that's a good father who loves you and is saying, hey, you don't have to live this way any longer. I've made a way that you can be set free. So for us, we invest time and energy into into things like a larger house because they're keys that can bring freedom and breakthrough. And it's not the prayer ministry, it's not the teaching, it's not Elijah House, it's Jesus and you having an encounter. And then you realizing, oh, I'm stuck in sin because I'm unrepentant. I'm stuck in sin because I made a judgment against this person and I'm, I'm violating the laws of the kingdom. And yet there's an answer that Jesus says, repent. Jesus says, renounce. Jesus says, forgive. Wow, Breakthrough. But we do that because we want to see a healthy family because you reflect the heart of the Father. That matters to me. It matters to me how I'm reflecting Jesus to the world. So a healthy family produces healthy people. A healthy family, as I'm saying, is what the world sees. Most people don't leave the church because of a bad experience with Jesus. Most people don't leave the church because they've had a bad experience with Jesus. I had this encounter with Jesus in worship and I was like, that's it, I'm done. I'm leaving this place. No, every time you see him, it's like more wonderful, more glorious, more exciting, more like there's only good things, but it tends to be in people's interaction with one another. Now again, not just because you have a bad interaction with someone doesn't mean it was all them either. It's a good chance it's you. I encourage people, if you're in conflict with someone, it's 99% their fault and 1% your fault. Deal with the 1% first. 
That's your first step of your, your responsibility is you first, then them second, okay? Jesus talks about it, makes it very clear. The speck in your eye versus the log in their eye. Deal with the speck. Then you can see clearly. Amen. It's, I don't need to go through that. It's very straightforward, but uh, yeah. So again, I'm not saying we're a perfect family, not by any means. Um, we're all growing as children of God. We're all growing as, as spiritual parents in how we lead and impact other people. No one's perfect here. We don't have all of the answers. We're not doing everything great and amazing. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying what we're heading towards, what we're hoping for, what we're leaning into is more and more to be a people that reflect God well to the world. But that starts with each one of us taking responsibility. I want you to mature in Christ. You know what would be wonderful? Is if more churches were planted out of this church because people matured in Christ, they got their vision from God, and they went out and planted churches. More businesses that, that reflect the, the culture of the kingdom are started from people in this place. More artists are released, more education representatives, more politicians, more, more of that being coming, but it doesn't happen. Like, I'm not interested in you just coming here and sitting and listening to me every week. Like, well, that's a, I, I don't enjoy teaching enough that I'm just like, oh, I'm so glad I got a crowd. Like it costs, it, it costs me to, to, to invest into this, you know, but it's like I'm do, doing it for your benefit, not so that you could hear something, go, oh, that was nice. Oh, that was a nice sermon. Oh, lovely. Oh, it was good. It's like, yes, there was some gold in that. I'm putting that into my life. Not because I've said something fancy because I'm just explaining God's heart or the scriptures to you. But you'd go and then you'd say, all right, Jesus, we're going to go and do this now. But this needs to change in my heart. God, I'm going to repent. I'm going to get some prayer. I'm going to get some accountability. I'm going to do something different in my life. And you would be changed and you would mature in Christ. Okay? I'm not afraid of you becoming more mature than me. I'm not afraid of you becoming more powerful and more wonderful and more integrous. I'm not threatened of my position here as the senior pastor, okay? We're not trying to keep you squashed down. We're trying to build you up and send you out that you might reflect Jesus to the world. Like that's our goal. That's why we're here is to equip you for the works of ministry. I'm going to get to Ephesians 4.11 eventually. Like, what, still want to understand why it's fivefold, Brad. Uh, we're getting there. Um, but you know, that's what we're trying to do. I, I keep getting inspired by the Holy Spirit to say other things. So I apologize. I don't apologize because that was, that was a lie. I repent. <laughs> I repent for, for lying to you saying that I apologize because that would be insincere of me. We're pursuing becoming something. So if you might have an experience, you go, it doesn't seem like a healthy member to me. It's like, yes, maybe you interacted with an unhealthy part that's not healed or resolved yet. Totally, or people make mistakes. But what we want is to have ways of interacting in this community where, where things get resolved quickly. So there's healthy families don't always get it right. But they're quick to confront, they're quick to forgive, and they're quick to repent when they get it wrong. I'm, I'm fully prepared that I will get things wrong. And you know what I love is when someone comes to me and they say, hey, Brad, you said this, you did this, whatever. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you received it in that way. I, that's not what I meant to say, but I still acknowledge the impact on you. I'm so sorry. Actually, yeah, that was wrong of me or I was short-tempered. I was whatever it was, I'm fully prepared to admit when I'm wrong. But see, a healthy family does that. A healthy family does that. Oh, they said that. I'm out of here. That's unhealthy way of relating. We're like, hey, let's, let's draw in. Let's say, I'm committed to you because I'm part of a family. You know, we got three kids. 
they fight sometimes, you know, once a year, maybe. <laughs> no, uh, once a day. Um, let's be real. But they, they fight. But in the midst of that fight, I remember growing up with my brothers. I would have fights with my, I got two older brothers, and I'd be like, I hate you, I'm never talking to you again. Uh, and the next day, you find yourself mid-conversation, and you remember what you'd said the day before, and you're like, oh, damn it. I didn't follow through with that because I'm talking and we're, we're back. We're having fun. We're playing together. Like I see my kids sometimes. And they'll be, you know, fine, fine. And then five minutes later, they're like their best buddies watching something together. It's like, because you're family. Like that disagreement relationally, there's a deeper bond that holds you together. In God's family, there should be a deeper bond that holds us together. And that's Christ. To say actually my opinion versus your opinion, there's something greater than that, which is Christ's opinion. <laughs> You know, what I want and what you want is what does Christ want? Like that's when Jesus is the center of everything that we're doing, then we're fighting for something. When we, when we're at a leadership level in this church, what we're fighting for is what Jesus wants, not what Brad Joss wants or what Nicole wants or what Amy wants or what Jess wants or what Rod or Lindley or anyone else wants. No, we're, we're fighting for what does Jesus want? And I will submit to what he wants. And every single person will submit to what Jesus wants. Now, I might be representing what he wants, but I'm only fighting on his behalf for his, for his truth, not for mine. Sorry, wasn't in the notes. Not sorry. Stop it. All right, so family culture is complicated by the fact that we all grew up in some form of family environment. So when we hear the word family, we naturally bring our experience of family into that perspective. So we view it through that lens of whatever my experience of family was, that's how I view it. We may have been raised in an amazing family. We may have been raised in a not-so-amazing family. We might have been not raised in a family at all. So we're bringing that perspective into that. But again, we're not pursuing our experience of family. We're not also, we're not going after our expectation of family. We're seeking God's expression of family. And because we're all coming in as, as adopted sons and daughters, I can't expect something of you that I'm not willing to give. So again, this sometimes can be the experience of when people come into the church and they have immediately they have an expectation, particularly upon the leaders, to be something, to represent that authority figure in their life. And then they project all of their judgments and all of their expectations upon people in leadership. It's just one of those realities of, of being a pastor is I, I have the wonderful privilege of representing every single person's father wounds. Oh, it's wonderful. Makes me feel all so warm inside that I get to be that person that everyone judges because they didn't do this and they haven't done this and they didn't say hello to me and they didn't greet me and they didn't, like all of, like I've, like this, I've literally heard stories of people leaving the church because I didn't greet them enough or I didn't say hello to them enough or I didn't come, so it's like, who am I? I'm just a person. Like I'm just, it's, if you want to say hello to me, come and say Hi. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, but that's, that's that sort of thing. So we bring in those judgments. We bring in those expectations and we can put that on other people. But again, if you come in, you have this expectation. Well, this is what family needs to be. Everyone needs to meet all of my needs and be there whenever I, whenever I have a problem. I need to jump in and 
do everything and give me everything and be it everything and all of that sort of stuff, you're bringing in expectation to family that might not be what God is saying what family is. So again, as we do our own heart journey, we start to realize, oh wow, that's an expectation in me. Or that's a judgment in me that I've put upon family because of my childhood experiences of family. Okay? And my parental relationships and things that weren't all that healthy there, now I'm projecting that onto the church. Really important, you do your own heart journey. Okay? And then as you're free from that, then you're free to participate. But it's also not something that family isn't um, a product that the church provides for you to consume. Family is something that you get to participate in. It's about participation, not consumption. So what tends to happen in anything in life within relationship is what you put in tends to be what you get out, okay? So we're not saying, oh, the church as some sort of corporate organization is going to offer you family as a, as a good and service that you can purchase and utilize at your leisure. It's saying, hey, no, no, what God's culture of the church is, is family. So every one of us is going to say, what can I do to help create healthy family? Who can I pursue and invite into relationship? Who can I connect with? Who can I bless? Who can I love on? Who can I serve? Who can I, do you understand? Every one of us. And then that's what actually creates that environment. So it's most likely that you didn't grow up in a family that fully expressed kingdom values or kingdom perspective or a kingdom family. So we all need to be reformed in our perspective, and this will require repentance, and then naturally what comes from that is behavioral change. Most of us will need to go through a healing journey. When I say most of us, what I mean is all of us. Um, but for those of you who think, oh, this is not for me, I'll give that, you know, We'll pretend that it's not for you, um, and, uh, and, but really, all of us need to go on a healing journey to be healed from those things. Even if you think, if you look back at your child and say, my parents were amazing, uh, totally, but there's possibly some things where, where they didn't give where you needed, or you had a perspective on how they behaved, and, and yet it wasn't the reality. A child growing up in a family where, where dad goes to work every day, that child can perceive the father's action, dad was never there. But well, that wasn't there because it was working nine to five. But as a child, your perspective, you have a childish perspective. And you look upon that and you could have potentially judged your father of not being around enough. You become an adult, you look back and you go, oh, I know what it's like. Yeah, I've got to work nine to five, don't get to see my kids as much. I'd love to be home all day. But that's the reality. So you, then you reconcile that. The judgment as a child is still in existence. It's still at play. Okay. But you're, in your adulthood, you've kind of, oh, I, f I figure that I understand now. You still need to go back and deal with the judgment. Otherwise, ultimately, that will produce fruit of judgment in your own life, in your own heart. And if you want to know more about that, Elijah has you in a one. All right. All right. This is... It's a good point coming up. Um, so we talk about, so we talk about God's family. And we say, cool, that's good, Brad. I've already got a family. So I've already got a family. Now you're talking about God's family, but I've already got, I've already got the responsibility of my own family. Um, so why do I need two families? It's a good question. Um, well, your first family is God. That's your first family. That's, your, that's the primacy of, of familial relationships is your relationship with God, okay? Not the church, with God, okay? You're a child of God. 
That's your identity. So my son Noah, he's a child of God before he's a child of Brad. Okay? If he views this, his identity from me, more than his, from his identity in, in Christ, there's a problem there. Okay? So he's first a child of God, second a child of, of Brad and Lisa. Okay? It's the same for each one of us. I'm first a child of God. Now, I may have been born into a family, and the first father I knew was my earthly father and the first mother I knew, but when I get born again, then that is my highest priority. My highest priority is my relationship with God. So you're personally connected to God, but because of that personal connection, then you're also naturally connected to his family, the people of God, through that connection with him. Because he doesn't have one child in you. He's got many children, and it's part of his family. And again, it's not just in this local church. It's in any church, in any place. Anyone who's born again in Christ is, is your part of that family. Okay? Before anything, I'm a child of God. But as a member of God's family, he expects us to share the responsibility of raising his family. So when I say, I don't, well, I don't care about those outside of my biological family. I've just got to do that. I've just got to take care of that. So, well, no, you, have, you actually have a dual responsibility there. So you can't dismiss God's family just to care for your family. And you certainly shouldn't dismiss your family just to care for God's family. There is the potential of idolatry in both spaces. Many, many people have... Uh, made an idol out of ministry, out of church life, out of serving, out of all of those sorts of things at the expense of their biological family. But I think equally, many people have made an idol out of their biological family at the expense of serving God's family. Idolatry is never good. When something becomes God that's not God, there's a problem. Okay. Now we can look at and we can, and some people make this connection, but God and the church is kind of being the same thing. They're not the same thing. Okay, God is God, God's people are God's people, your family is your family, you have a responsibility to both. So we don't choose one over the other, overemphasis on either is unhealthy, but we do have a responsibility to both. So I have a responsibility to God's family and I have a responsibility to my family. And my life is a, is a, um, is a pattern of just uh, sifting through that responsibility and where does one take priority over another? And I don't always make decisions as to what I think is best for my children in the immediacy. Because sometimes in the long term, to me say, no, Jesus is most important to us as a family. And uh, me, me serving, me, me giving, us blessing this. So we give money into something. That's money that I could spend on my kids. So we invest into Lilia Haven from our savings, but that's, that's a stack of money that I could have given to my kids. But I would hope they would say, oh, but that's a good thing that we're giving into as a family. So in, do you see in that, like there's always decisions that we're making, how I spend my time. Well, I could come to prayer on a Friday night, the men's prayer gathering, or I could spend time with my daughter, Abigail. What's ultimately going to have a greater impact? Well, I believe I'm going to have more impact on my kids by being in, in, in prayer with, with other men, and it's going to bless the church more than, than that one time. But you see, there's always that kind of... So I know for me, I'm always just wrestling with those two things in a healthy, in a good way. But we've intentionally pursued a culture that doesn't place biological family on the altar for the sake of ministry. But we also don't want the pendulum to swing in the other direction where we end up serving our family as God rather than for God. 
my family isn't God and the church isn't God. God is God and I'm obedient to him. So I'm seeking his will. And sometimes he'll say, hey, I want you to cost your family for the sake of my church. And other times he'll say, no, you need to take priority of your family in this moment. But that's God's determination in that. Is that okay? The other aspect is your biological family is a gift to the church. And you can become family for those who don't have family. There are many people who don't actually have family. They might be here from a foreign country. They may have lost their parents. They, they may be without family. And you, if you're just like, well, I'll just do my family. It's like, no, your family is a gift. And if you open your doors and your hearts, you can actually draw people in and you can become family, like biological family for those people too. All right. There you go. That was the intro. Um, I want to give us time to pray, and I know I already knew this was going to be a long one, but I didn't want to tell you. Um, it's okay. Um, so why fivefold family? Well, we'll just jump into briefly Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. And we've got it up on the screen. It says, um, and he gave the apostles. So this is Jesus gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for works of ministry. That word equip uh, is like, it means similar to a chiropractic adjustment. So to realign the saints for works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So the point of these five kind of gifts, these five representatives of Christ is to mature everyone not to keep you as infants, but to actually mature you in Christ, that you would uh, attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So not distracted from the things that God has for us to do. So rather, speaking the truth in love, everyone loves to hear the truth spoken to them, don't they? Uh, we grow up, we grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So again, maturity, maturity, maturity. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow that it, so that it builds itself up in love. I think the, the, there's a key here in this passage of scripture where it talks about Jesus giving fire. So he says, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. This series is going to go through what does it look like to be an apostolic family? What does it look like to be a prophetic family, an evangelistic family? So we're going to flesh out all of those things. But I think because it's Jesus giving these gifts to build up the body, to bring it to maturity, this is part of building family culture, a healthy family. So we know, okay, God's God says family, we get, he wants family, but he wants a particular type of family. And I think the fivefold really informs, because it's about maturing of the body of Christ, that, that this is going to help us to know what does that actually look like. Okay, so we're going to get into all of that content. But these five representatives help everyone to be formed into the nature of Jesus, transformed into his nature, so that the church can reflect the nature of God to the world. Okay? So as we step through each of these, we're going to see, cool, that's what it looks like to, to be the family of God in that aspect. The next one will be, that's what it looks like to be the family of God in that aspect. Is that, is that cool? Yeah. 
we get where we're tracking? All right. And it's important that we have all five operating accurately to reflect God to the world. So a fivefold family is a family that looks like Jesus. It's informed by Jesus and conformed to Jesus. Amen? All right, so we're going to delve deeper into, into those different five and how they shape our lives, the life of the church, all that sort of stuff. All right, we're going to pray. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to Holy Spirit. Is that okay? That's good, because I'm going to do it anyway. It's <laughs> to joke people. Join me in prayer. If you're if you're able to stand, you're welcome to stand. If it's helpful to tune in, you're welcome to kneel. I just want to start by by thanking you that you have called us your children. That you, the creator of the universe, the everlasting God, the righteous, holy, amazing one has invited us to be part of your family, Lord. We rejoice in that. And we know it's through the cross of Christ, the sacrifice of your son, of your firstborn, Lord, that you made the way that we can come in and not just to receive salvation, receive this future gift, but to receive intimate fellowship with you, that we can know you today. We can live with you today. That eternal life starts in that moment and we get to experience life with you today. Thank you that you're here, Holy Spirit, that you're moving amongst us. Father, I just want to give opportunity for those who, maybe even for the first time, they've heard this message, wow, God is a Father and He loves me. And regardless of what I have done up until this moment, He still loves me. And He's made a way for me to enter into His family. And if you've never responded to God, because it's it, you're responding to an invitation and you're just simply saying, yes, Lord. Yes, I want to be far, part of your family. Yes, Father, I want to be part of your family. I want you to adopt me into your family. I want to know you, God. I think, I'm thankful, Lord, that you're, you're not interested in destroying me, but you're interested in saving me. You're not interested in crushing me. You're interested in raising me up. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, God shows His love for us. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Jesus has died for you in your place so that you don't have to pay the price for your sin. You don't have to pay the price for your past, for your history. He has wiped the slate clean and He just invites you to enter into that relationship to receive the invitation. And if you want me to pray for you this morning, I would just ask that you raise your hand. We're not gonna make you come forward. Everyone's got their eyes closed. So no one's gonna point you out. But if you want me to pray for you, if you wanna pray that prayer, yes, I wanna come and be part of God's family. Just lift your hand up nice and high just so I know there's anyone for me to be praying for. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you just pray with me to say, Father God, I receive your invitation. I thank you that your son died in my place for my sin, that I might know you, that I might be your child. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, I pray now that you would come Holy Spirit and you would fill them, Lord that you would make them born again. It is only a miraculous work by your Spirit, but we just say, Holy Spirit, come. Bring salvation, Lord. Bring a witness of your presence. Let it come, Lord, with weight. Let it come with fire. Let it come with shaking, with moving. Let let them know that you have come and made your home in them, because that is the promise, Holy Spirit, that you'll come and make your home in us. So we thank you, Lord, for the born again experience, Lord. We thank you for new temples, people being filled with your spirit now in Jesus' name. We thank you for salvation coming upon them, Lord. And we thank you for the spread that will come through their household, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It is your desire to bring salvation to the nations, Lord. It's your desire to indwell people. So we thank you that you're moving now, Holy Spirit. You're moving now, Holy Spirit. Just receive Him. Just say, I receive you, Holy Spirit. Come and make your home in me. I give you permission to be God. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, as we speak of family, we we know that for, for some of us, maybe for many of us, our experience of family wasn't a great one. And we can acknowledge that In many ways, we went without. In many ways, there may have been lack. Maybe we even grew up without knowing one or both of our biological parents. So we haven't truly known what family is like, Lord. We haven't known healthy family. Maybe there was uh, abuse and trauma. Maybe there was financial hardship. Maybe there was a lot of, of fighting and aggression in the family, divorce, Lord, and brokenness. Father, I just want to pray for those who've had a traumatic experience of family, Lord, that you would begin or do the next step on that healing journey, Lord, of restoring hearts, Lord, of healing those broken, wounded, traumatized areas. So we just pray, Holy Spirit, would you come now? Would you bring healing, Lord? Would you bring restoration, Father? Would you bring a new picture, a new vision of what family might look like, Lord? Father, would you lead us on that pathway into healing and into restoration? 
If you're wanting more prayer in that area, I encourage you to come forward. We'd love to just pray specifically for you. So you're welcome to come forward as we pray. Maybe for some of you, it's about overcoming the fear of entering into family. Maybe the thought of family is petrifying. Maybe the thought of being vulnerable with others is a really scary thing. But I wanna invite you to come forward so we can pray that you would overcome that fear. We thank you, Lord, even as the scripture we read out, that you've not given us a spirit of fear, that we might fall back into slavery to fear, Lord, but you've given us that spirit of adoption as sons and daughters.